Welcome to the 10-5 podcast, the official podcast of the OPP Association. I'm Josh Jutras. And I am Scott Mills. We are the Strategic Communications Coordinators for the OPP Association and your hosts of the 10-5 podcast. The OPP Association is the sole bargaining agent for the close to 10,000 members of the Ontario Provincial Police in Ontario, Canada. Our members are our focus and our strength, and we aim to provide important information to our members and the public about matters that affect policing in the province of Ontario. Today's guest is the chief psychologist of the OPP, Dr. Vivian Lee. Our topic is the chief psychologist of the OPP. And welcome to the 10-5 podcast, Dr. Lee. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So what do we call you? Uh, Doctor, Chief, Vivian? Well, I make my friends call me Commander now, but you can just call me Vivian. (laughs) Oh, that could get fun, couldn't it? Um, (laughs) All right, Vivian. Um, We're going to turn it over to Josh here. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Lee, the format, generally speaking, is uh, we'll try and take it at a pretty good pace here. Uh, Some rapid-fire questions that Scott and I will alternate uh, on. Are you uh, ready to begin? Bring it on. (laughs) Okay, so Dr. Lee, let's start at the beginning. What is the Healthy Workplace Team at the OPP? So the Healthy Workplace Team is uh, is actually a standalone bureau. So it's under the Field Operations Command, which is a change from before when it was housed under a different uh, command. So it was established not that long ago in 2020, and it was in response to recommendations from a number of uh, OPP reviews, including the Independent Review Panel, or IRP, um, the internal reviews, such as the round tables, as well as the, uh, the Office of the Chief Coroner's Report of the Expert Panel on Police Officer Deaths by Suicide in late 2019. Uh, Vivian, who is eligible to be supported by the Healthy Workplace Team? So we support everyone who, who's under the OPP umbrella. That includes all uniform, civilian, frontline managers, you know, um, admin, contract employees, as well as all of their family members, retired members, as well as all of our auxiliary members. What services are offered by the OPP Healthy Workplace Team? So we're still growing, but we have a number of services that will continue to grow. Uh, We do have a psychologist in most of the regions. Our aim is to have at least one psychologist in each region. Uh, Right now we have psychologists in East and West region, as well as a Northeast region psychologist who's also covering Northwest. Uh, we are currently going through a hiring process to hopefully bring on more psychologists. So I'm currently providing urgent coverage for Central Region Highway Safety Division, as well as GHQ. So right now there's the three regional psychologists in addition to myself. We have mental health clinicians. So those are regulated healthcare professionals. Um, so they could be uh, social workers, they could be registered psychotherapists, or also open to mental health nurses. So right now we have one in each region plus two in HSD, Highway Safety Division, and we are about to go through and hire some more as well. Each region also has a care navigator. So basically there's someone who can provide some education, some information, some support, uh, referrals to the community or within our team. Uh, For a number of years, uh, OPP has had chaplains. So they're non-denominational. So even though they may be of one particular faith, um, that they don't practice that faith when they're meeting with a member. So there's someone who's very familiar with uh, policing culture, the nature of the work. And if any member is in need of spiritual guidance, uh, they can certainly turn to one of our chaplains. 
We also have a number of peer supporters spread throughout the organization. And ideally at some point down the road, I would love to see at least one peer supporter in every detachment, every unit, um, just so everyone can turn to someone who is legitimately their peer um, because they, they work side by side together and who has a little bit of extra training. Uh, something also exciting that is coming on. Um, so earlier in the year, we began an occupational medicine doctor pilots and OCDOC uh, for short. So the occupational medicine doctor is someone is a physician with expertise in um, disability management accommodations um, and is very familiar with uh, policing and what the job requirements involve. So I know there's going to be another OBPA podcast uh, featuring the OCDOCs. I won't go into too much into detail, but we are excited to announce that we're bringing the OCDOC and, and his team on full time um, starting in the near future as well as a new role in the OPP, what's called an integration coordinator, and that's Laura Young. Um, and that will also be discussed in, in the future podcast. But what's really exciting uh, for me is that this is someone who has HR experience and background, but is working on our team and so is a step removed and working with a very member-centered focus. Um, I can say from my clinical experience, uh, having worked with first responders for many years, a big difference I've seen throughout my career is, uh, is having someone in that position, like this integration coordinator position, who is familiar with you know, HR and the disability management world, but who, you know, who really gets what the member needs and, and brings everyone together in a collaborative approach to try to make this accommodation process and return work process as member-centered as possible um, so that everyone can succeed in the long run. You're uh, quite busy, uh, Dr. Lee. Um, thanks, thanks for thanks for sharing all that with us. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot just from this point. I'm sure our listeners are going to be learning too. So, our, our next question is: uh, um, you know, we understand that a big part of what the healthy workplace team does is proactive. And can you ex uh, explain that? So, you know, it's it's really the healthy workplace team for a reason. So I really want this focus to be on creating a healthier workplace day to day. It's great um, that we have supports now and more supports coming in for members who are having a difficult time and absolutely we're always there for you um, if you're having a difficult time. But I can tell you over the years, I've been working with first responders for about 11, 12 years now. And it's, I've seen so many people coming into my office from all over Ontario, all different types of services. Uh, they're very, very different stories, but describing a very similar experience over and over and over. And what I would keep hearing in my office day after day, hour after hour, are individuals describing, you know, going to a call, maybe it was a really bad call, pretty traumatic, but you know, it's part of the job and they kind of like suck it up and they keep going. And then they go to another call and it's pretty rough, but you know, they try to suck it up and keep going. And these kinds of incidents keep happening. And then maybe they're having a hard time, but they don't, they don't get what's going on. They don't connect it to their, their job because it's their job. That's what they signed up to do. And then you start to see things like maybe sleep problems or concentration problems, maybe withdrawing or um, getting cranky at home, not wanting to do things you normally enjoy. And then there seems to be this kind of snowball effect right over time, because if more and more incidents are happening, now maybe there's some, some problems at work now there's problems at home. And then eventually they, they get to this point where they're in my office 
and they're having a really hard time. And at that point, they think they're broken. They think they're weak. There's, they think there's something wrong with them because why is everyone else doing okay? And what the hell is wrong with me? And what was frustrating for me hearing everyone's stories is that there's so many places along that long, often long, long pathway where something could have made a big difference, right? Supervisor checking in, a peer saying, hey, like there's, there's something going on, you wanna talk. Seeing a clinician, opening up to their family. Anything could have potentially made this path a lot smoother and healthier and shorter. And so what, what's really important to myself, and I know every single person on this team is prevention and early intervention. So, so what does that mean? We don't want to just see people when they're having a hard time. We want to try to make the day-to-day -day a bit healthier. So things that we're working on and we'll continue to work on as our team continues to grow are things like education, awareness, what is resilience really? What is self-care? What is why is it so important to take care of yourself on a day-to-day -day basis? What are some of the early signs of potential operational stress injuries, so injuries sustained in your operations or line of duty, right? Like moral injuries and compassion fatigue. Working with supervisors and managers and coach officers in terms of, okay, so now you have a bit more of this awareness and education. Now what? And that's something I hear a lot. I don't know what to say to the member. Great. So now we're here and we can help support supervisors and managers with how to have that tough conversation, right? So they're not just coming to us after the fact. Now their managers and their supervisors and their peers can now check in with their own members before things get really bad to provide support and you know offer accommodations if needed and whatnot. And so it's been very promising to see myself and the other psychologists since we've started, we've had managers and supervisors reaching out. Again, not to say, hey, I'm worried about my member, check in on my member. It's, I'm worried about my member, help me help them. And so that's a big part of it is, is the education awareness, um, helping people to have these difficult conversations. If someone needs accommodations or they're going to be returning to work, we certainly have that clinical mindset of, okay, these are some things that might be helpful to make this succeed for everyone. Um, you know, we've been involved in consulting on this new revamped respectful workplace process. Um, when someone is having issues with that PSB, for example, or um, an SIU investigation, we're also there to provide support as well if needed. So it, it's really trying to make this more of a proactive, we're looking out for each other and we're helping you to look out for each other type of approach rather than push, 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 push until the point of breaking. One of the talking points that we hear over here at the association often surrounds the concept of disclosing information to management. You are an employee of the OPP. If management approaches you and is requesting information on a specific member, uh, do you have to give it to them? What are, what are your obligations there? Absolutely not. We do not give uh, sorry information. Um, we respect and maintain member confidentiality above all else. Right? There's, we cannot build trust with members if they know that we're gonna turn around and tell people what they said, of course, right? So the psychologists and mental health commissions on our team, we're all regulated healthcare professionals. And that's important for a number of reasons. Number one is that we are regulated by the Regulated Healthcare Professionals Act and the Personal Health Information Protection Act, right? PHIPAA. So we are all bound by the rules of our licensing colleges and the legislation governing personal health information. 
So it doesn't matter if I'm seeing an OPP member, it doesn't matter if someone is walking into my office, you know, into my clinical private practice, I'm following those same rules. And that is everything someone says to me, everything I know about someone remains between me and that person, unless they give their explicit consent to share it to specific other people. Now, of course, there's always limits to what we can keep confidential with any regulated healthcare professional, and that includes myself, that includes our team, and that includes your family doctor or your dentist, right? So if we ever think you're at imminent risk of hurting yourself or someone else, we would have to break confidentiality. But even on, in those occasions, which do not happen that often, if someone mentions that they thought of suicide, we do, that is not something that where we would break confidentiality. Otherwise, I'd be breaking confidentiality multiple times a day. No, if it's, I think someone's at imminent risk, like they're going to walk out my door and do something. And even in those situations, those rare times I've had to break confidentiality, I speak with the individual about it, who they want me to tell. And I'd only tell the bare minimum information in terms of what's happening. So even when I've had to break confidentiality, I do not share every single thing I know about that individual. It's only the bare minimum to protect their safety or other people's safety in that moment. So the, the limits to confidentiality are the same as what your family doctor follow. Um, everything is kept confidential without your consent. Now, things can be subpoenaed with a court order, and that's where someone would have to go to the judge and get that um, subpoena. The minimal information we may share within the service is confirming that we reached out to someone. All right, so if someone says, hey, Vivian, can you reach out to Scott? And then I reach out to Scott. Maybe I call him, maybe I text him. And I say, yes, I reached out to Scott or our team reached out to Scott. I don't say whether Scott replied. I don't say if Scott answered the phone. I just confirm that a reach out was done by our team. So that is the only information that someone will get, um, that confirmation that there was a reach out. Um, in terms of PSB, it's the same thing as with your family doctor. If they ever want information um, about, about someone I'm seeing, they would have to get a subpoena. Um, something that's really important to note is that, yes, we are employed by the OPP, we are paid by the OPP. However, my license to practice as a psychologist is the most important thing to me. So if you were to ever suspect of me of breaking confidentiality or doing something unethical or unprofessional, you can report this to my regulating college. So as a psychologist, my regulating college is the College of Psychologists of Ontario, CPO. So if you ever had concerns, you can file a complaint with them. And if it's founded, I could potentially lose my license to practice as a psychologist. So at that point, it doesn't matter if I'm employed by the OPP or not, I am gonna lose my ability to make a livelihood. So why on earth would I ever want to risk that? So I, I do wanna emphasize with that we follow all those healthcare, personal health information, privacy laws. Are there times when mostly well-intentioned, I'm going to assume, Supervisors or other people have reached out and said, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Are they doing okay? And usually it's good intentions, right? They just want to know if someone's okay. But even then, I won't confirm whether I'm seeing someone. So I just want to make try to make that as crystal clear as possible because I, I get the skepticism. I get the worries about privacy. Um, but this is something that is very important. And we know this is crucial to building trust. I, I did want to highlight that. So that is my long-winded way of saying that we take confidentiality very seriously and we do not give information about um, anyone we've talked to to anyone else without your consent. Thanks, uh, Vivian. You 
you actually answered my next question. I'm just going to run through what my next question was because you referenced PSB. And just for our listeners that don't know what PSB is, my question was, can your records be accessed by the Professional Standards Bureau? When I mean your records, I mean the records of the chief psychologist or, or one of your team. And the answer was, was clear from Vivian that no, without client consent, health records can only be released through a court-ordered subpoena. So I'm going to, that was my next question. I'm just going to turn it over to Josh for the the following question, because Vivian's already answered that uh, quite uh, appropriately and in-depthly. Sorry, Scott, can I just jump in and add one more thing Um, I forgot to mention, that people will sometimes ask about our records or our notes. So something I do also want to emphasize is that um, any notes or medical or clinical records that we're making, we keep off-site. So we do not keep them on any OPP property. We use a secured um, electronic medical record system that, that compliant with all the personal health information and um, electronic documents privacy laws. And they, those are updated on a tablet or computer that's not connected to any OPP network. Right, so secured, offsite, and not connected to the network. I just wanted to add that as well. Thanks for adding that, Vivian. Very important information. Over to Josh for the next question. Vivian, we're we're pretty fortunate right now that the membership has access to a few different and distinct resources for mental health programs. Can you talk to the audience about the differences between your team, uh, the Encompass program, and the Employee Family Assistance program? Absolutely. And I want to emphasize that, that we're all complementary, right? We all complement each other and, you know, add different things. Um, but there, there is uh, quite a bit of overlap, but there are also three independent programs. So we certainly talk quite a bit with Encompass, but we do operate separately. So starting with the Healthy Workplace team. So I mentioned the different types of supports available, including clinical, but also peer support, care navigators, um, and uh, chaplains, for example. We're also available to all OPP members, even those on contract, even auxiliary, as well as um, family members and and retirees. Uh, We do travel to the members. So I think that's the important point to make because the OPP obviously spans a gigantic (laughs) geographic area. Um, And I know often the the model clinically is for the individual to come see the clinician where they're at. So we try as much as possible to go to where the members are. Um, So we've gotten pretty creative with renting office space when we need it or um, meeting people in various places offsite because we want to try to make this convenient and and private as possible. Um, We do have a 24 seven phone line, which is answered by care navigator or, or mental health clinician and they can uh, provide some information and, and some support as well. Um, something else that's quite important is when there's a critical incident, we can be on site very quickly. So if, for example, when there's been an officer involved fatality, we're able to have people on, on site pretty quickly, um, certainly peer support. And then, you know, we'll talk with the, with the members about what's helpful in that moment because it may not be helpful to have a clinician on site right away because they may be busy with paperwork and you know all the other things going on. So we'll discuss what, what's needed in those moments, but we can certainly have someone on site pretty quickly, if not right away um, in the hours following. And I also talked a bit about the proactive support. So um, providing consultation, education, awareness, and things like that. Um, Encompass 
obviously you know about, so I, I won't speak too much about it, but open to all OBPA and uh, COA, Commissioned Officers Association members. Um, so there's a number of mental health professionals um, within the Encompass network. And uh, so certainly members can see, and their family members can see people quite quickly through there. Um, and I know they facilitate referrals to residential treatment. So where you go and stay for a little bit to get some treatment as well as peer support programs. Uh, my understanding is that Encompass also has a 24 seven phone line for information support. They also provide uh, crisis intervention on the phone, which is not something we do. Um, so it's great to have Encompass there um, who can provide that kind of rapid uh, crisis uh, clinical support. Couple other things I didn't know about the Healthy Workplace team is um, we have some programs going on within the OPP. We're starting with some specialty units like forensic identification services and child sexual exploitation. Um, it, it's a psychological health check-in program. So it, it's basically developing a relationship with uh, between a psychologist and the members, the team members in that area, of uh, getting to know each other, attending some of the trainings, um, just going in and providing some education. And once a year, they, they meet with the psychologist. So the, it's mandatory that the person shows up, right? That they just show up to the appointment and the manager is told that they show up. They're not told if the member participates, if they walk back out the door, or if they go through a, you know, a full meeting. The manager only knows that they showed up. So this helps to decrease stigma of people just kind of going and meeting with the psychologist. And this way we just, we just, um, we do a bit of a screener, but give a lot of education information, just get a baseline feel for the member. Um, so as they continue along, then, then we know that about the member. And unlike the previous safeguard assessment program, we don't give information back on whether we think a member is quote, fit, unquote, to, uh, to continue in their duties. This is purely about relationship development. And finally, with the uh, Employee Family Assistance Program, uh, EFAP uh, through LifeWorks, that is also like Healthy Workplace Team available to all OPP members and families, um, including contract employees and for retirees for one year post uh, retirement. So they, re they receive a specific number of counseling sessions, um, but I'm, I'm not clear that they're always facilitated by a regulated healthcare professional. Thank you, uh, Vivian. Uh Next question is, what are the differences between the former wellness unit at the OPP and the healthy workplace team? So a major difference is where we're housed. And I know that sounds like a, just a difference on paper, but I do think it's quite meaningful. So the former wellness unit was housed within the Career Development Bureau, CDB, under corporate services. Um, and they were comprised, my understanding is, is mostly of uh, peer supporters, full-time and uh, part-time peer supporters. And they did some absolutely wonderful work. I know that they've helped many, many members. Um, and they brought in a contract social workers needed, you know, for critical incidents and things like that. So they, they've done some great work setting the ground uh, groundwork for, for our team. Um, but our team, again, is a standalone bureau and we are under the field operations command. So what does that mean? It means I report directly to Deputy Commissioner Harkins, who is, um, who is the heads up the, the field operations command. So that means that every week I do meet with the regional commanders. Um, so I get a feel for what's going on in all the different regions. You know, what are some of the issues facing the front line in, in all the different regions? What's going on with staffing levels and things like that. And very importantly, I'm able to very regularly bring things to their attention, right? In terms of um, things that may be happening, things that are stressing people out. Um, you know, ways that they can help support their members. And so we, we have a very open dialogue. And so we're able to have this ongoing communication on a very regular basis um, so that I, then 
I have a quick ear if there's something going on in one of their regions, I can get information quickly and I can, you know, I can get things organized much more easily. Um, and of course our team um, has peer supporters. We no longer have full-time peer supporters, um, but we do have the psychologists and clinicians, peer supporters, care navigators, and um, all the other team members I described earlier. A couple points during this uh, conversation, you referenced uh, the care navigators on your team. Can you expand on what their role is as part of your team? Absolutely. They, they are an absolutely great addition to our team. So they're basically, I like to see them as the gateway to our, to our program so that they're, they can be the entry point to all of our services. So they're basically a jack of all trades. So each region has a care navigator. Um, who gets to know the resources in their region and the culture and the different nuances in their region very well. Now, of course, you know, you can reach out to any care navigator anytime. It's just one in your region is going to have more information about um, what may specifically help you. So they provide information to members. They, they answer the 1844 number. They do a lot of research and vetting of community resources. So when we hear of a new clinician um, in the area or someone recommends them, the care navigators can call and do some vetting, you know, to get their, their experience with police and with trauma treatment and or do they work with workers comp and things like that. Um, so they do a lot of that vetting for us. If something happens, they can jump right in and do some research. So for example, when there's been a very tragic event they've been able to look up very quickly, you know, grief resources in that community, or when there's been an incident that affected someone's extended family member um, in a certain area of Ontario, we've been able to quickly look up what are the kinds of resources that that person can access in the area. So they do a lot of research on resources for individualized needs all over the province. And something very important is that, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned this already, is that they help a lot with the internal OPP process. So things like, WSIB, Workplace Safety Insurance Board, goes that paperwork and going through all of the, the claims process or LTIP, the long-term disability. Of course, if, if someone's gotten to the point where they're filing out, a, filing out the paperwork for claim, they're probably not doing the best, right? So that stuff is overwhelming at the best of times. So imagine going through a really hard time and trying to figure out what are all these processes and paperwork I have to fill out so they can help walk the individual member through the process and help them get the information they need and, and complete the form. So they're, they're an absolutely wonderful addition to our team. And I, I don't think we'd be functioning anywhere near as smoothly without our care navigators. Well, Vivian, um, if somebody wants to, is listening to this and wants to contact the uh, Healthy Workplace team, how would they go about that? So the easiest way is almost always our 1844 number. So it's 1844-OPP-9409. That's 1844-677-9409. So that line is answered 24 seven. Again, it's not a crisis line. Um, if you are in crisis, you, will, you may be uh, redirected to a crisis line or to the hospital or to Encompass. Um, so that is the easiest way, and you will always get a response that way very quickly. You can request information, connection to a peer supporter, or ask for more uh, clinical support, and then the clinician can call you back uh, when possible. We also have an email inbox, opphealth at opp.ca. So certainly people can email that inbox to get some information. Now that is not monitored 24 seven. So you're not guaranteed to get a response right away. Um, but if it's something where you just want some general information and you're not in a rush, that might be an easy way as well. 
And you can always reach out directly to any member of the team. We are listed on the intranet, um, the, the OPP Connections internal website. So if you go to the homepage, at the top left corner, there'll be a button that says Healthy Workplace Team. If you just click on that, and then you can go check out the different programs and, and people that we have. So if you know that you want to talk to an East Region psychologist, then you can go and look up uh, Dr. Nina Fusco's phone number and email on the internet very quickly, and you can reach out directly. Um, so certainly you can reach out to any member of the team directly, but if you don't know where to start, easiest way at any time of day or night is the one 4 number. Thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Vivian. Uh, we know uh, that we have learned quite a bit about your mandate and your role of the uh, chief psychologist at the OPP and all of the work you and your team do. And uh, we're certain that our listeners uh, have learned a lot as well. And uh, thank you for all you and your team do to uh, ensure the wellness of our members uh, and their families. Do you have any last words, Vivian? I have so many words, but as you might have noticed, I, I tend to talk, but um, just one thing I'd like to leave off with is um, there's often a lot of skepticism when I talk about psychologists being involved in a police service and, you know, and I, and I get it, but it's also keeping in mind that when we're talking about a career like policing or 911 dispatching, 30 years is a very long time, right? And when we talk about resilience, it's not a one and done. I've, I've sometimes had services reach out to me and say, hey, can you come to give a talk to our members and make them resilient, which it's not possible, right? I can't just give an hour talk and make someone resilient, right? Because it's something you, each individual has to work on actively as a lifelong process, especially in a career like policing. You can expect operational stress injuries. I'm not talking disorders, I'm talking injuries, right? Because you deal with many things that are not meant for human eyes. You know, if, if, you, if you think about something like professional sports, you expect as a professional athlete to have some injuries, right? So think about, you know, Austin Matthews on the Leafs. He's gonna experience injuries throughout his career. It's inevitable. What happens if he has an injury? Well, he might, um, you know, bandage it up and ice it and go back on the ice and then keep doing that over and over and what's gonna happen eventually? he won't be able to play, especially at his peak performance. So what do we see more and more of in sports? We see someone has a minor injury, maybe they have to sit out for the rest of the game or a few games, they see the team doctor, they might get some uh, physiotherapy to help them with their active recovery. You know, their coach kind of checks in on them. They sit on the bench still, they attend all the games even when they can't play because they still feel part of the team. Right? And then they get back to, to baseline and they feel better and they get back out in the game. Okay? This is the same idea for a profession like policing or any other emergency response work. You're going to be exposed to things that you may be fine with most of the time. And then sometimes you're going through things in your life and things are hitting a bit harder. And that's okay. Right? So this isn't, this isn't a forever thing. If you have an injury, physical or emotional, psychological, take a step back. Right? Look at what you need to do. Talk to someone, maybe go for some therapy. You may or may not have to take a break from work. If you start it early, you don't have to go off work. I've seen lots of people who came in pretty soon after they were, they were noticing something. We did some sessions, you know, they, they got back on track and they never had to go off work. 
So this is just something I want to really hammer home is eye on the prize. This is a long career. You want to make the best of it. You're in this career for a reason and you want to keep hopefully performing well and staying happy with your career as well as maintaining all the things that you enjoy in your day-to-day -day life. So expect some injuries every once in a while. That's okay. Take a break, get some help or whatever it is when you need it and just get back out there because you can do it. It's just, we want to, we want to keep the resilience and longevity long-term, not just trying to push through the next little while. Well said. Uh, Dr. Vivian Lee is the chief psychologist of the OPP, the commander of the Healthy Workplace team. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. And that is our episode for this week. New episode drops next Friday and all episodes are always available on our blog at oppa.ca slash media. If you like what you hear, please use the subscribe button on your podcast platform so you never miss an episode. For Scott Mills, I'm Josh Jutras, and for everyone here at the OPP Association, thank you for listening and be safe.